how to take something from idea to done, how to split your life up into projects so you can complete the things that matter, and the biggest misconception people have about planning, and how a lack of planning can lead to terrible habits all coming right up. This is episode number 185 with founder of Productive Flourishing and author of Start Finishing, How to Go From Idea to Done, Charlie Gilkey. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My mission is to help you gain clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, and then provide you with the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person become a reality. Today I bring you Charlie Gilkey. Charlie is the founder of Productive Flourishing and is the author of Start Finishing, How to Go From Idea to Done. Charlie is gonna tell you about how everyone thinks about creativity in the wrong way, and will tell you how to get the most important projects in your life finished. Be sure to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you to let me know that you're listening. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with Charlie Gilkey. All right, what's up everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super fired up today to have the one and only Charlie Gilkey with me today. I just want to start by saying thanks for spending the time with me today, Charlie. Nick, thanks so much for having me. I am pumped to talk about this work in general, but also specifically with you. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, I've been stoked ever since I finished your book a couple weeks ago, like I told you. Well, to quickly introduce you, you're the founder of Productive Flourishing and author of the book, Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done, which is an awesome book. You guys need to make sure that you go get it. And you're also the host of the podcast that we were just talking about, the Productive Flourishing podcast. And before starting Productive Flourishing is kind of where I want to actually start today. You worked as a Joint Force Military Logistics Coordinator, also while simultaneously pursuing a PhD in philosophy at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. But I want to go to your days as a Joint Force Military Logistics Coordinator because basically your goal, in your words, would be to take wild, seemingly undoable projects and figure out how to lead teams to accomplish those. Was there any particular project that was toughest that you guys finally found a way to break through and accomplish? Um, the toughest project overseas. I think it was, I'm trying to think of how, how much detail to go into here. So we had the basic problem of we had get more stuff to places than we had. Um, we had the capabilities to do it in across our different companies within our battalion, but any single company wasn't able to provide the necessary amount of trucks and troops that we needed to get there. And so this was a problem that we faced for about two months before we finally broke through, which is one of those taboo things to break through company lines, which means like a company um, would normally do that project together. We started cross blending companies um, because we had the slack across the different units that we could use if we combine them together to make it happen. But, that doesn't seem to be that big of a thing, but it would be like if you had five different businesses that did sort of related things and you said, you know what, we're going to pull individual workers from each of your businesses and then we're going to put different people in charge and then we're going to run these ops in a flexible way. It was a really big challenge actually to get all of the politics and all the sort of things figured out, but we eventually did it and it smoothed up a lot of things. And actually it's one of those things that made us fundamentally a lot better as a, as a battalion, because we were able to see how to sort of really utilize not just the individual drivers, but this pool of leadership that we had that basically didn't have to do it. So we, we get better as far as training leaders and, and getting more people into the convoy leadership process and things like that. So, but it was a, it was a wrinkle, man, for like a good bit until we, until we finally sort of asked that what if question and pushed through that sort of like, oh, we have the capability across the battalion. We just have to rearrange it in different ways to make it happen. Yeah. So, what, what's one of the biggest things that you learn then in bringing in these different companies and different and bringing in these pool of leaders, as you say it? Like, what's the biggest thing that you learned out of that experience that you've maybe used now, you know, moving forward? The value. I mean, the Army is all about standardization to start with, right? And so, it wasn't a big surprise that um, we needed to standardize some of the ways in which we held briefings and things like that. But really, that, that wasn't the surprise. What the real surprise was is how quickly our troops were able to um, work with each other 
and do side-by-side leadership and join in and really support a junior leader that was from a different company. Like it wasn't, it was, it was a big deal, but it wasn't as big of a deal as it could have been. And so part of what am I, things from taking away from my whole deployment um, experience it sort of guides so much in my work now is just the wellspring of cooperation and coordination and creativity you can tap into when you get people aligned and they're all sort of behind something like you can fight through a whole lot of bs you can fight through a whole lot of uncertainty you can fight through so many different things when you can get people aligned in that way and that's just what I took away is like, if we can do that in the army, which is very, can be very rigid. Imagine what we can do in this flexible world of creative knowledge workers. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds like my, my takeaway from that is that so many people who, you know, have a business or start a business. If, if people are struggling to get something done, then get back to the purpose that you're doing it in the first place and get everybody aligned with that vision. And already things are going to start to pick up from here. I want to, I want to kind of go into to a little bit of the book. So I, like I told you kind of before we hopped on here, I've been fascinated with the whole topic of basically bringing an idea from an idea to a finished project. And it was kind of when I realized in my own life that there was always sometimes a gap between knowing what I should do and what I'm actually doing. And I think there's always that gap for a lot of us. And in your book, you call it the the air sandwich kind of is, is what I relate it to the the top bun being your dreams and what you want to accomplish and the bottom bun being your day-to-day reality. So I want to just start by saying, why do you think there is this gap for all of us between knowing what to do and doing what we know? Well, not to go too entirely woo on this, but the fundamental problem is that we are really unlimited sentience in a very limited body. Our minds and our souls can conjure up so much more that we could do than the very limited body that we live in can do. And there's always that gap. So, you know, none of these problems is actually really humbling, but also really empowering at the same time to realize that the things I'm talking about and start finishing are not new problems. We think we're busier than we ever have. And like, we have this new problem. We don't like people have been talking about this since Aristotle, since before then, right? We're continuing to sort of increase our capabilities. That's what the difference is. But this basic problem of our reach always exceeding our grasp is something that's been a core part of the human condition for all of the millennia that we that we have writing for, right, writing about, but also we can probably project before that. And that's what happened when you get beings like us in bodies like this, right? So that's the core problem. Now, what also happens is a core human challenge is we say yes too quickly and no too infrequently. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm going to pause here for a second because I think most of your listeners here don't wake up in the morning thinking that they have a project management problem. Right. That's not what they think about. in the first thing is like, oh, I got to get better at managing projects. It's true. But that's not the core thing. Right. The core thing is that, as you mentioned, the vision for who they can be in the world and the vision for the work that they want to do is not matching up with what their day looks like. And it's mm-hmm. frustrating. And so why I focus so much on projects in Start Finishing is because projects are the bridge between where you are and where you want to be. Like you don't get there by just thinking about them. You don't get there by better intelligence. You don't get there by better ideas. You get there by taking ideas, converting them into doable projects that you can finish that create that bridge to where you want to go, right? And so um, that's one of the places people get stuck is again, they have all these ideas and they either don't convert them into projects or they say yes too quickly to projects. And they think just because it's a good idea or just because it sounds like something that's fun right now, that means that they should do it. And then they put some commitment juice on that project without thinking about that project or that idea in the context of everything else that's going on in their life. Last thing that I'll say here from a technical note so we know about it, from my perspective, a project is anything that takes time, energy, and attention, not just your economic projects, not just your work projects, which is another thing that people do. It's like, well, we will apply all of our know-how to the economic part of our life. We'll make a project at work. We'll do those sort of things. But we don't make a project out of our relationships. We don't make a project out of, or we don't convert the need to clean out the closet of doom into a project that gets on our schedule. And so that's why 
again, we'll talk so much about project, but I want to mean this is really stuff. This is really all the things you might do. And thinking about projects that way, again, it can be, on the one hand, incredibly overwhelming because it can kind of feel like the, when you think about it, all the things, it's like, oh, the earth is sitting on my chest. I can't breathe. What am I going mm -hmm. to do? But you know what? We haven't fundamentally changed what you're already going through, right? Yeah. We just made you aware of what you're going through. And now, since we know that, we can start to be better about, one, starting from a place of celebration and compassion. Because whatever story you have about you not doing enough and maybe you're lazy and maybe you just can't get right or whatever, it's actually not true when you think about all the things you're currently doing. Mm -hmm. And if you want your life, if you want your work, if you want your abundance to be different than what it is now, what different projects are you going to do to get you there? Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And I'm going to stay on this, this project thing because, you know, you talk about a lot in the book how projects are certain basically time periods of our life. And where I want to get to it when I when I finish up is how you talk about we need to realize that a lot of our projects aren't irreversible. I think because because a lot of people don't take action because they think like if I do this, my life's going to be over kind of a thing. And I was talking actually with my my brother the other day about kind of like doing things, taking action. And he was like, sometimes the thing that holds me back from taking action is want to do all these different things at the same time. And right. My my audience is super driven and they want to do all these things. So I just kind of want you to talk about that idea of how kind of that project mindset should give us freedom because they're not irreversible. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for that, Nick. So while I've been talking about project, there's this, I talk about project world and sort of capital P project. And the thing about it is our lives, our lives and our work go through three to five year time slices that largely define an arc of a project, of a capital P project. So I'll talk about sort of the life side first and then the, then the work side. So life side, think about the way that relationships evolve. So you meet someone, you find out they're a good fit, you maybe propose to them or maybe you, you know, live with them for a while and you, they go through these different stages of commitment and, in, and sort of positive entanglement and then the honeymoon periods and then sort of the reality periods and then the sort of recoming. And those tend to happen in three to five year slices, right? Over and over again. And so think about children and the way that they grow up is there's that sort of baby toddler stage that lasts for about three, maybe four years. And then they sort of switch to these little younglings that can go to preschool and kindergarten. And they're sort of in that age. And then they sort of get, you know, around that nine or 10 and they start sort of getting closer to, to puberty. And you sort of see how our lives are sort of chunked in these three to five year segments where we're a new being every, every three to five years. And we're always evolving in that way. It works that way on the backside too. So that's our personal life. And then think about how we move through different places. You know, we'll stay in apartments and we'll buy a house and then we'll move. And all of those changes create different changes in our environment. So not to overkill that, but people don't think about that, right? Mm -hmm. We have those evolutions. But then on the work side, think about starting with school, right? There's that middle age or that's a sort of teenage age where you're going to middle school and then you're at high school and then you're at college. And then if you do, you know, the graduate thing, just three to five year slices over and over again, you get a job, three to five year slice of you getting that job and it being sort of new and then you getting better at it and then cross leveled or cross trained or up leveled or you get a different job. Always this evolution. Now, last thing that I'll say here, and this is for the entrepreneurs, the biggest sort of relief that you can give yourself is understanding that every three to five years, your business is going to be in a different stage. You may have to do what I call a brand tilt. It's not rebranding, but you got to sort of tilt your brand a different way because it's, it's, it, you're going a different direction. Or maybe the scale of your business is different. The visibility, your capabilities, the market is different. So every three to five years, there's going to be some revitalization and re-identification that happens. Now, that's a, long, that's a long setup, but the payoff for that is to your point, Nick, that so many of us get stuck because we think that we've got to make an irreversible decision. Like, oh, if I start this thing, then I'm stuck, right? What am I going to do? What if it's the wrong thing? And the beauty of it is, if it's the right thing in three to five years, you're going to build that bridge and be doing something different anyways. If it's the wrong thing in three to five years, you're going to be doing something different anyways, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not just long, like, I don't know 
where we got this idea of sort of career world, which is what I call it, where like you do something and then you're stuck doing it for 30 years, right? That's your entirety. No one lived, we don't live in that world, bro. We haven't lived in it for a long time. It was a myth the whole time. But that myth has been incredibly powerful for the creative engines inside of us, right? Blocking yeah. the creative engines. And so that's the thing that I want to say is like, look, man, the beauty here is that if you choose wrong, you get to choose again in three to five years. But here's yeah. the thing. We only have so many three to five year slices of our lives. Right. And I keep, you know, I've been talking about Project World for a long time. And then I read Stuart Brand's idea by Kevin Kelly via Tim Ferriss that significant projects tend to take about five years of your life. And it turns out to be true. Right. And so, you know, I know folks listening may skew on a little bit of the, on the younger side, younger given that I'm 40. So that makes me sort of middle age here, but what you can do is subtract your age from 85 divide by five. That's the number of significant projects that you have remaining in your life. And at first, again, you can go back and be like, <gasps> right. Is this really what I want to do? But on the other hand, you can think, you know, actually that's okay. That helps me choose better. Right. And this new bright, shiny object, Maybe it's not worth one of my project slots, one of my capital P project slots, because there's this other thing that I'm going to be really hurt and frustrated and annoyed and regretful if I don't, if I look back five years from now and say, you know what, I didn't do the thing. I didn't even try the thing because it was hard or scary or I didn't know if it was worth it. Those are the types of things that burn you as you start getting a little bit older, not just whether you failed in the moment. Because failure, you know, I said it before, it's kind of like prom night. We make a big deal of it, right? It's a whole thing. But then two or three years later, like, unless you've been stuck in high school, like you've been stuck in that mode, like who gives a crap about prom two to three years later? But in that moment, it's a big deal, bro. Yeah. It, failure is like that, right? It feels like such a big deal. Three to four years later, unless it's a major character mistake, like you know that you screwed somebody over, Right you know, and, and you meant to, and I, I mean, sort of those character mistakes are the things that you have to watch out for, but the tactical mistakes, you did this versus that, you gotta trust me. Two, three years later, it won't matter. Yeah, no, I like I like that prom night analogy. I think that's, that's hilarious and super true. And so on the same topic of kind of deciding which project you're gonna take on and not necessarily all capital P projects, some smaller scale things as well. If people are wondering, what projects should I be making right now? What goals should I be setting right now? Because I think, you know, a lot of people inherently know they should be de deciding on chasing after some things. So what is, what's kind of the internal process people should be going through in order to determine the proper project, big P or little P that they should be attacking? Yeah. Um, you know, I go through some different questions in the book around this, but I think there are some simpler questions that we can ask in this context, Right. Um, the first general principle that I'm going to say is as much as possible, get out of your head because all of the things, and I can tell when people are talking when they're in their head space versus when they're in their heart space, right? Because when you're in your head space, a lot of times it's like variable after variable after loop after loop. And what about this? And then if then, and then we build these huge maps that we get lost in, but that's our headspace doing so much of that work. So first off, so just think below the head as it were, right? And I really want people to tap into projects that get their blood pumping in different ways. So let's do a quick exercise. I could do it in two minutes, right? Yeah. So everyone listening, um, kind of close your eyes and think about sort of the closet of the soul that you have. There's a place where we tuck away things that matter to us. Think about all the things you've told yourself you're going to get to or that you would like to do and wouldn't it be coolish. Now imagine that I was reaching inside there and sort of rummaging around. And if I grabbed something, you would never be able to do it again for the rest of your life. Gone. Poof. Done. What are those one, two, or three things that as I start getting close to, you're like, oh, hell no, nah, bro. You're not getting that one. Stay away from that. I will fight you over that. Those are the projects, right? And it really can be that simple. It's like, what's in there? What have you tucked away? And you keep telling yourself, maybe someday later when I'm richer and smarter and better looking or I've got a better boss, I'm going to get to those. Guess what? Five years from now, you're likely going to be in some other condition. The air sandwich that we talked about is still going to exist. So 
that I found to be a really great way because again, if I tell people to go to, okay, everyone, you can listen to your eyes. You can open your eyes now, right? If I tell people to go look at your to-do list and make a mind map, we get back into that. But most people, they know when I start grabbing for that, those, those couple of projects or those couple of ideas, they know how important that they are. So let's start there because if we don't make time for those things that matter most to us, we're going to feel the next decade full of a bunch of like starter projects or low hanging fruit or just sort of becoming better to do list ninjas mm-hmm. and five, 10 years from now still be stuck with that same idea or project that we haven't done the work to pull out in the world. I got you. I got you. I love that. That's a definitely a great exercise. And I kind of felt like I knew where you were going. You were like, reach, I'm going to reach inside there and take away a couple of things. And there's going to be a couple of things where people are like, no, 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 no. I can't let that one go. I love that. Um, so I'm going to talk or I'm going to mention your five keys to overcoming the air sandwich um, real quick. And then I'm just going to pick one out to, to talk about. So five keys to overcoming the air sandwich that we've been talking about, this gap between kind of what we want to do, what our heart is set on, and actually our day-to-day reality is intention, awareness, boundaries, courage, and discipline. Is there a one of those five keys that you feel like at some point in, li- in your life, or maybe now you struggled with the most? Yeah. So a quick memnonic for everyone listening, that's I, A, B, C, D right? Intention, awareness, boundaries, courage, and discipline. I feel like one of my bigger struggles have been discipline. And that surprises a lot of people given my background and given what I've created. And there's still a place where I know that I could focus more, right? I could be less distracted. There are just different things. And for instance, in my military career, one of my really frustrating sort of challenges was not all of the physical training, but running. I hate running. Right. Unless I'm running in a group or unless I'm doing something like that, but just me going out and running three miles, I just hate it. Right. I always have. And so when we did all of our physical fitness and like I, I aced everything, running was my Achilles heel. And in a way, it's like my superiors couldn't understand that because it's actually one of the simpler things to do. Like you get out and you run. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to like. And so I can solve big problems like what we talked about earlier, but couldn't solve the problem of getting getting out and making time to run. I have other versions of that now where I just know that I need to do it. So that would be one of the ones that that comes up, but that's actually the easy story. Hmm. This is what you have yeah. to worry about with the five keys. Cause I think all of us have the story we can tell that's sort of socially acceptable, right? Hmm. People understand discipline problems. Yeah. Sometimes what they don't understand are courage problems when we're afraid and so there are plenty of times where I could have take, taken different shots in my career and did not, right? Um, and so for me, that's the one that even to this day and when I'm working with clients, I'm like, how, what did you do today to earn some courage points? Hmm. Because yes, we can come up with super smart strategies. Yes, we can, you know, we can be the top dog and run circles around people. But are we being courageous enough to show up in places where we don't have the mastery, where we don't have the certainty, where we don't know what's going on and say, you know what, I'm here and I'm ready to create a new reality out of this mess. So that is actually the true story. There are plenty of times I'm way better about it now because I've become more aware that the discipline thing was actually like the easier go-to story. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas the courage thing was actually what I need to work on. But that's Charlie, right? Um, Different people struggle with different of the keys, right? Some people, for instance, I know a lot of really great executors that struggle with intention and awareness, right? You give them something to do and they can go after it. But when they're stuck with like what they want to create in the world, uh, what do you do? Or when they stuck or they can get stuck in the same pattern over and over again, which is an awareness issue, Right over and over again. And then I know other people who struggle with boundaries, especially women in our society, given how we socialize them, mm-hmm. where they have everything else except for when it comes time for them to create a positive or negative boundary for something, it erodes so quickly and they end up back in the whirlwind. So again, mm-hmm. it's really contextual based upon you, what what your sort of top line struggle might be, but also what's that deeper one that you really don't want to talk about too much about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're listening and if any of that sounded like uh, potentially one of your struggles and you need to make sure that you go and and read the book and read that section for sure. Something else that I really feel like 
is super important. I've seen it in my life and you know, I've seen it in, in the books and the different things that I've studied is the importance of kind of planning out your day, your week, or whatever you're planning ahead of time. So you kind of have that perspective. And so I kind of want you to talk about the importance of planning something ahead of time, like either the day before, the night before, the week before, whatever amount of time before compared to planning it right before you do it. Yeah, this is such a great topic. And I think people, it, it's on this one, Nick, people do one of two things and sometimes both at the same time. They either try to make a too detailed plan that's too far out in the future, or they try to make a last minute plan that doesn't work and doesn't actually consider all the variables. And so it's either too far out in the future or too close to when it's done. The beauty about doing, say, weekly planning or daily planning, I call it momentum planning, which is a combination of continual review, continual adjustment of plans, weekly reviews. So there's a lot to it. But um, actually, the best time to make the plan for, say, tomorrow is at the end of the day today. Most people in the morning are not in their most planful state, right? And they don't have the context. They, you sort of got to get rent back into it. But at the end of the day, you know what the last leg of the journey is and you know what the next leg of the journey might need to be. You're in this perfect plot and space to say, you know what, so tomorrow I'm going to pick up here and you leave yourself breadcrumbs from one day to the next, right? Just like at the end of the week, a lot of people are, if they can let go of their frustration and overwhelm of what they didn't get done and everything like that, if they can sort of start from a place of celebration and gratitude and compassion, like say, okay, my week went this way. I did these things. I set up like the week you can think of as like a, as a just a time, a span of time to create some bridges, right? You know what bridges you created last week, you know where they left off. So next week, where do you want to pick up? So I think too many people, this is a, the sort of takeaway here. Too many people spend time planning like the day at the beginning of the day. And that's super slippery way better to plan next, you know, tomorrow and next week at the end of the week prior, at the end of the day prior, um, just yeah. build that continuity. Yeah, no, I definitely like that. And I've actually, I've always done a pretty good job of doing that myself, always planning the night before, but I, I can't remember if it was your book or, or what I read it in, but it was some famous author had a quote, it might have been Shakespeare, I can't remember, about how they would write to the point not to where they felt like they were exhausted of their ideas, but where they still feel like they had some juice left. Because like you said, it kind of leaves you breadcrumbs for the next time that you go about writing. And so I've been trying to kind of implement that into my life when I've been working on some things. Don't try to, because you, we have the mindset of like, get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. But it's like, leave yourself a little bit left because you know where to start when you pick back up. Yeah. Um, Hemingway is most famous for saying Hemingway. Hemingway. I had a footnote in the book about it, but you probably heard it somewhere else because everyone knows Hemingway sort of said that. And yeah, it, it's, you know, I have gotten to the point to where like, I know when I write something, I'll give an example here. I was um, finishing the overview section of my proposal for my next book. Um, and I needed to send it to my agent before I sent it to the editor. There's a whole thing, man. but I knew like, okay, I finished the draft today. I need to let it sit overnight. And there's some questions that I sort of left in the document, like, how do I resolve this? Does this opening story work? Does this, and just left the question in the document, but I was like, just let it sit, right? Because if I wake up tomorrow, well, I've done it enough to where I've tried to rush through and I've sent and, and sort of so on. And then like, as soon as I sent it to someone, I was like, oh, but what about this? And then I forgot this. And then I got to add these other pieces. And then you're in this like email thread and you look like a crazy person, right? As opposed to just letting it settle and then waking up the next morning and say, what's, you know, did I resolve my questions? Are they still questions? Is there something that I forgot? No, actually, it was it was as good as it was going to get. I need to send it on. So just doing things like that to where understanding, and I know this is this is harder when you're younger. So I'll, I'll admit that, right? But just understanding that like everything doesn't have to be right damn now. And the more that you can sort of split up and on the creative side of things, the, the drafting or the creation or the roughing from the editing and sort of perspective from the publishing and shipping and sending, you split those into the three distinct processes that they are. Use time to your advantage so that you do one in one mode and then you come back and you edit in another. And then once you edit, you move on. You create the space so that you can do your best work. And it's not always this frenetic 
like get it done and crunching it. And then, you know, after the fact that it wasn't your best work. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I definitely, like you said, it is harder when you're younger. Cause I definitely, you know, you feel like you fight yourself a lot and thinking like it needs to be done right here, right now. So stick on kind of the planning topic. The other thing that I found is really important and read, read plenty of other people's experiences as well is planning is really important because then you don't have to make the decisions the next day of what you're going to be doing. And, uh, you know, you use the phrase decision fatigue. And I actually listened to your and your wife's podcast episode from the end of 2019, that recap. And you guys talked a lot about decision fatigue because a lot of people think planning is putting you in this box and kind of putting you in this like jail cell that I have to do this particular thing. But it's, and you, you talk a lot about how it's no, it's freeing you up to use your energy in the way that you want to be able to use it. So I just kind of want you to, again, just talk about the importance of planning because of not having decision fatigue. Great. Thanks for that. Well, the real value of planning is that it's an awareness generating process, right? And it gives you defaults. It gives you super powerful defaults. So that you're right. You don't wake up that day and like, what am I going to do today? I might do this. I might do that. So on and so forth. So when I talk about time blocking, like I do in the book, right? Time blocking is just the idea that you've set certain parts of your day where you focus on certain types of work. At first, you're like, oh, putting all the schedule in. But like, I know, I, Charlie, know, given the way that I've time blocked my schedule, I'm like, I know what I can, what I should, I hate using the word should, but I know what this time is the best used for. And so when I'm in that time, it's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in a meeting zone. I'm in a social zone. I don't have to worry about all the writing I should be doing, right? That's not the time for it. So it creates these defaults. And I think the more defaults that we can create in our life, the more we free up our hearts and our minds to focus on um, what matters most. So think about it this way. Think about it from a relationship perspective. There are some people who just love to be in the dating game perennially, right? Where they're always dating someone new and it's always a new date and so on and so forth. But at a certain point, the default of having someone that you love, that you know is going to work with you and partner with you in certain ways becomes an incredible way for you not to spend so much of your heart, so much of your heart time in these sort of conversations and sort of the mini drama cycles of relationships, right? So that's a way of default, just like, you know, picking places to live. We choose to have defaults everywhere. And I think also the reason I'm talking about leaning into defaults, um, and I'm going to pause here, Nick, is because so many people resist it. So many people resist the idea that having habits, which are defaults, right? And routines, which are defaults, is a way to really embrace their power and creativity because they think creativity and power is unbounded and unstructured. It's not right. Um, being able to focus on um, something and think about how much of your day, everyone listening, think about how much of your day you spend just thinking about what to do, not how to do it. I would want so much more of your creativity and soul to be focused on this particular moment in this work and how you're going to do it in this moment than all of the things you might do and what like, or that's where we get stuck in the whirlwind and start thrashing a lot. So that's what it does. Like if you have, I know I'm a bit all over the place because I want, I want to make sure that people understand the full range of defaults here. Like if you have a pre-work routine and a post-work routine, it makes it so that you can flow from work to not work super easily. And you're not always dropping things and forgetting where your keys are and running around the house, you know, for 15 minutes trying to remember where you put your keys in the wallet, right? Just create a default so that you don't spend that much of energy of your day on something that fundamentally doesn't matter, right? Fundamentally is not that important. So yeah. And what I would want to say is most of our worst behaviors, I found behaviors, meaning addictions, habits, whatever you have, are actually coming from, from minds and hearts. They're just overwhelmed right? Mm-hmm. You've got decision fatigue. You don't know what to do in the moment or you got emotional fatigue because you, you spent everything like fighting something that that's when, even though you hate it, you go to Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's when, even though you know, you don't need to drink as much, that's when you go there or whatever sort of habit or behavior that you have that, you know, is destructive. I'm not judging anyone's behavior, but I think we know what our destructive behaviors are. We tend to go there because we have decision fatigue. We tend to go there because we've overwhelmed ourselves. So creating more defaults can do that. And so it could be as simple as, for instance, and I never thought I would be this guy, Nick. I never thought I would be the guy that could eat the same thing 
for like two years straight in the morning. Right. I have sort of a standard, I call it a forage breakfast of, you know, a couple hard boiled eggs and some uh, beef jerky or some protein source and a Lara bar and, you know, a few variables. It's like five things that I've eaten for like the last two years. I never thought I would be that guy. I love being this guy now because it just takes away that like, oh, what am I going to eat this morning? And then not knowing and burning myself out and then not eating. It's just so much simpler. Just like I get out of the hot tub. I go in, I eat the same, one of the same five things, and then I move on and start like easing into my work. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I really love, there are so many things in there that I love that you said, but I, one thing I hadn't really thought about is how decision fatigue really does lead you to do your negative behaviors or your bad habits and things like that. So that's another, just another huge thing to try to get people to be like, it's okay to have... <laughs> these plans and these routines and these defaults, as you called them, kind of laid out for you and prepared for you. You talk about how when planning, again, just to stay on this topic one more time, how people don't necessarily always have the best idea of how long it's going to take to do things, but they have a better idea of how many chunks it's going to take to do. And you have 15 minute chunks or you have two hour chunks. I just want to ask, why is it that, that we have a better idea of chunks rather than just kind of stating an amount of time? Um, some of it is biological, right? Um, in the sense of the notion, like time as we understand it is something that has only been around since the railroad, the invention of railroads, right? Yes, people had clocks, yeah. but the way we understand time is actually a really recent development in human culture. However, so much of our brain is actually focused on spatial reasoning. So 85% or so of our, of, of our true cognitive processes, um, cerebral processes are focused on spatial reasoning, right? And so when we start thinking about time and start thinking about all those things, it's a really foreign concept, but like you could close your eyes right now and probably tell me where different things in your room are. You couldn't tell me how many, but you can right. tell me where they are because our brains are just so good at spatial reasoning and knowing what's around us. So I think it's partially that. And I think it's also because it's super easy to get lost into the details of things. But when we take a, a, a bit of a distance from it, we know kind of what we can do. That's, that's my contention or my thesis is that most people know about what they can do in two hours of just focus time, right? You might not know at the like precise level how many words you're going to get done. Right, but you know that there's a range of words that you're going to put on screen if you're a writer, or you know that there's a range of things you're going to do in that period of time. Um, but if I asked you, like, how many how many words could you write in 20 hours? Most people are like, I, I don't know, right? So that's this weird thing about our one could say faulty brain, but I don't think it's faulty. I think it does what it does incredibly well. The other thing is, because we're such spatial creatures. Think about how much actual training we have when you think about how much time we spend building Legos and playing with spatial things when we're kids, right? Most of preschool and kindergarten and early education is actually getting us to think in spatial reasoning. It's the thing that we have, aside from language, is the thing that we've had the most experience with. And yet, when we go into most of the ways we think about planning, it's the thing we don't tap into. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that spatial reasoning thing. I think is key. That's a really good point. I like that. Um, so, like I said, I listened to that one podcast episode with you and your wife. So, and it was awesome. I loved y'all's recap and your takeaways and your vacation and all that kind of stuff. But what do you think is one of the biggest things that you've learned about your own productivity through being in a relationship? Mm. Um, through being in a relationship. That's a really great question, Nick. You get the prize for asking me a question someone has not asked me yet. <laughs> it's every, every interviewer's dream, right? It is actually, um, even though, you know, we sort of falter on it. So give me a second to think about what, what are sort of the one to three highlights are. One is the importance of boundaries. And when I talk about boundaries, it's not just the sort of negative boundaries, pushing people away that we're used to talking about, but it's also right. creating space for things. Right. So it's super important for Angela and I to create positive boundaries, to create space for our relationship and for the things that we want to do, not just from other things. Right. And so just the power of thinking in terms of both the positive boundaries that we need to set up, but also the negative boundaries. Now, 
it's interesting. If you would have asked me this about six or eight months ago, I may have had a different perspective, but Angela here recently has started getting up at like six or six 30. She used to be one that woke up at like nine or nine 30. And so the energetics of our house was an important piece of sort of my productivity, right? Because there, there are times though I could be mellow and chill. There are times I can be incredibly explosive and dynamic as well. It's kind of hard to do that when your wife is sleeping and you're sort of tamping down that energy and she's incredibly empathic. We're both incredibly empathic. And so if I'm amped up for good reasons, it also disturbs her. So just that one thing I guess that I could say here is the powerful and sometimes subtle way in which we can energetically mirror or catalyze each other and how we need to be intentional about that, which gives us to the third thing is the importance of um, intentional spaces for us to do work together. Like for instance, whenever we do our financial planning meetings or whenever we do our business planning meetings, we either do them downstairs at the kitchen table because that's just where we do it. Or especially if it's a harder executive conversation, we go out to a few places and actually have that meeting there and sort of have that intention, have that boundary, whatever energy that's come up, we sort of leave there and it's not just sort of floating around the house. And I know that it sounds incredibly woo, but everyone has, I think has been in the, if you're at a certain age, you've been in a fight with your partner and you know how weird the space feels right for a long time until it resolves. And so we're just Mm. really intentional about that and understanding that that unresolved energy, those unresolved emotions flows into our work. Right. And so there are a lot of times where I'll be sitting there. Well, it doesn't happen because we don't actually have spats or fights that often. Right. But there'll be time where I'm like, I can't get this done because there's some unresolved thing in the air that Angela hasn't spoken about. I haven't spoken about. So it's like, we got to check in about that. And so, yeah, I think those are all super important things because at a, at a certain point to do your best work, you have to align your emotions, you have to align your body, you have to align your mind, you have to align so many different things. And if there's some unfinished business over there, it can get you stuck in, in all sorts of ways. And, and we have a tendency, I think, to then start telling bad stories about ourselves. Like, I just can't get it done. I'm unfocused. I'm undisciplined. No, it's just that you've got some unsettled stuff. And I'll say this real quick. I know you asked about my relationship, but one of the things that I'll invite my clients to do or sort of talk about is where's the stagnant energy in your home right now? And by stagnant energy, I mean, there's like something that just, you know, needs to be resolved and it hasn't, and it's been stuck over there. And a lot of times, and I know it's how it sounds, but it's true. A lot of times, once we start addressing where that stagnant energy is, they find ways to unblock things in their business or at work or in their own personal development. So sometimes it's just working on yourself means cleaning out that closet that has family heirlooms in it that you don't know what to do with. Yeah. No, I think I like that. I like that stagnant energy concept. And I like those, this basically those three takeaways as well. Um, I really liked one of the, one of my favorite lines, I think maybe from the podcast was how you talked about how you went on this vacation and not necessarily you needed the vacation, not necessarily she needed the vacation, but you guys as a couple needed a vacation. And that's essentially kind of creating the space, creating the positive boundary, if you will, and allowing you all to have that time together as, as, a, as a couple. And I think that's really important. So a couple last couple of questions is I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself, one thing that's really important to do is try to gain clarity on what you think that best version of yourself looks like and what you think that best version of yourself is capable of. So a specific question for you personally is, is there a particular skill or a piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you don't currently have? I don't think it comes down to skill or knowledge. I think it comes down to much more, for lack of a better word, spiritual and mindset things, right? I think when I'm at my best is when I trust and have faith in things that I wouldn't in other spaces. So I'll give, I'll try to give a, I'm conscious of our time here, but I'll try to give an example of this, right? This is harder to talk about, but here we are. There for a while with some of the missteps and mishaps that happened with the actual book launch, I was really frustrated, right? About like what it did and didn't accomplish. And there were periods of times where I I had the equanimity to be like, you know what? I think there's a lot more going on with this book. And I trust that there's a lot more going on in this book than what I can see. 
right? It's doing more work in the world. It's helping more people. It's doing exactly what it's meant to do. And it's doing things that you could never imagine that it could do. And so just chill, just chill, right? And then there are other times I couldn't do it, right? I was like, no, it didn't hit this and it didn't do that. And that didn't work out. So now that I'm sort of seven months into this process and seeing what's bloomed from it, it turns out that that equanimous part of myself was right, right? Like I got a royalty statement and the book had sold way more than I thought it had sold, right? It's, it's accruing awards that now, like they're announcing them, that they were in decisions earlier that I just didn't know about, right? And I know there are lots of readers um, who have benefited from it who just haven't told me, but now they're starting to be like, oh, by the way, that was, you know, it was great. And so I think the better version of Charlie has more faith and trust um, in and a lot more patience and a lot more patience than time slices of me can have. Um, and so um, I think if there were some major skill set that like I needed some knowledge domain that I needed, like, you know, you can look at the books behind me. I've figured that out. That's the easy part. And that's what it's harder to see, I guess, when you're younger than when you, as you age anymore, that it comes not like wisdom is not about knowledge actually. Right. And most of the places where we get stuck in our life are not about knowing, but they're about sort of that wisdom element that um, comes down to faith and trust and hope aligned tenacity. And what I mean by aligned tenacity mm-hmm. is just that ability to stay stuck to the things that matter the most to you and to let go of stuff that's not right. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that it comes down to that. I, I feel really fortunate in what I've been able to experience and create and partner and sort of be in, in my first 40 years. And so, so no, I think it's, that's what I have to remind myself. And that's why that's such a great question is that when I'm stuck in that moment, I have a few sort of tripwires that I know, or tripwires are just sort of default codes that when I reach a certain limit, I'm like, do this. Like for instance, one of them is like when I'm, at that point at the day where I'm like at that grind and over push mode, everyone knows what you're talking about. There's, there's a way in which you're flowing through the day. And then there's that part in which you're like knuckling down, like I'm getting stuff done or like whatever. Super stupid thing that I have that will just works for me is like when I feel that like I'm getting it done, put my hands up in the air and I walk out of the office. <laughs> right. And, and someone reminded me is like, that's the sign of submission. Like, and, and re- that's true. But the reason my hands are in the air is so that I don't continue to touch the keyboard or pick up my phone or doodle or find some reason to stay stuck in that mode. So I just get, I look like an idiot every time I do it, just get up and walk out of the room with my, with my hands in the air. And so I think it's just finding those places where you know that you're starting to slide into a less great version of yourself and knowing what to do to flip out of it. And for me personally, what's more important, and I work with this with clients as well, is it's super hard to think about what's going on in your inner landscape because our minds are so good at shadow boxing and hiding and things like that. Just watch your behavior. Just watch your behavior. You know there are certain things that you do. You know when you have that knuckle down, you that knuckle down posture and that way that that feels. Stop thinking about it. React then. <laughs> get up and whatever your version of walking out of the office with your hands is right. Or, you know, um, another thing that I'll look out for is like, I know that before or after I've said something passive aggressive, it's like, mm, I need to step away from all devices. So that's another one is walk out of the <laughs> walk out of the rooms because something is off. That's not who I am in my best version. That's not something else is going on because I'm not that guy. So I'm either hungry or I'm angry or I'm lonely or tired or sick. There's something else going on. And I need to go address that and not go into the navel gaze on what's wrong with me. And I mean, I do that after the fact, but like we spend so much time, wasted time cleaning up messes that if we spend more time understanding who we are and what we do in our best and best and not great versions of ourselves, we just wouldn't have to clean up. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great way to answer that question. That's for sure. Well, before I ask the last one, Charlie, I want to make sure I acknowledge you. And really that last that last point just took it home. I think your level of self-awareness towards like the different things that you do, the different actions that you take, the different behaviors that you put on, your level of awareness of those things is 
super, super unique and super at a high level to where you do things to make sure that you don't as much as possible, not act in a, as a lesser version of yourself. And I think that's very apparent um, through, you know, that talking right there at the end and just want to acknowledge you for the work that you've put in over the last number of years uh, through through your work of how to, uh, how to go from idea to done because it's been, I know it's a game changer for so many out there and you maybe are getting the, the feedback now, but I know there's going to be just more and more to come as well. Of course, I want to make sure everybody goes against this book. Like I said, guys, this is a game changer. Start finishing how to go from idea to done. Make sure you go to startfinishingbook.com. You can go to productiveflourishing.com to learn more about Charlie's company. You can go to Instagram at productiveflourishing at Momentum Planner, where you where he really talks a lot about or breaks down how to go about creating the best day. We talked a lot about planning in here. Is there any other place that people should go learn more about you? No, I think you've hit it and I appreciate you covering those. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, the last question is, I think that getting closer to the best version of ourselves is a constant journey. I don't think we're ever at that best version, at that pinnacle. And I also believe that it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is a little bit different than the way that you're going to get closer to the best version of yourself. So again, for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to that best Charlie Gilkey that you could possibly be, what are those three things that you could do or work on? Hmm, that's a great one. Is it fair to say, like, keep keep doing some of the things that I do? Or do, is it something new, right? Um, and not trying to say I've, I've got it all figured out, right? Right. I'm trying to say that. But I know, I know where my best work comes from, right? Um, I know where my best self comes from. I'm going to express them all in the spiritual tensions that they are. Because I think that's at a certain point, um, living in the tension is, 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 the, is the trick. So one is being planful and choosy about what you're doing while being open to the grace and opportunities that happen right in front of you. Two would be loving deeply and broadly and acknowledging emotional limits. Third one, find the intersection of joy and discipline. Ooh, I like that. Well, three great things. I appreciate the level of thought and intention behind them. I appreciate it, Charlie. That's all we got. Thanks so much for having me. And again, it's been a great conversation, Nick. Yeah, of course. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this amazing episode with Charlie. Who in your life has said they're going to start something and then didn't see it all the way through? Send this episode to them. Send the episode to a family member who thinks they just don't have enough time to get that thing done that they've always wanted to do. Share this inspiring and informational episode to them so that they can change their life for the better. And be sure to go to startfinishingbook.com so that you can finish the stuff that matters. Remember, everyone thinks creativity comes from a lack of structure, but this couldn't be further from the truth. You create a plan so that you can spend your brain energy on the things that matter the most. Decision fatigue is a real thing. Not only does it lead to a lack of creativity, but also leads to bad habits. So take ownership of your days and create a plan. All this great information and knowledge shared from Charlie today, if applied, will help you to upgrade your life. It will help you finish the stuff that matters, and it will help you get closer and closer to your best you.